Our epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth. The eighth chapter, as Paul encouraged us to lay aside of ourselves for the sake of others. Concerning food for offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up but builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is not no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as real offered to an idol and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this is right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If he consigns his weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their consents when it is weak, you, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So the title in my Bible of this section of Scripture is titled, Food Sacrifice to Idols. I know many of you are thinking, I was just wondering about that question the other day. There I was at Longhorn or Outback, and you were just like, man, was this steak sacrificed to an idol? Should I eat this? Should I not? See, there's sometimes those parts of Scripture that at first glance we might look at and say, what does that have to do with me at all today? But the fact is, is that even for them, why Paul was writing that was a very similar situation to that we find ourselves in so often. That what do we do when we find ourselves in places where the rules don't apply? That there wasn't a clear rule on what one should do or shouldn't do in this circumstance. There wasn't a clear calling of this is your answer. That there were different opinions in different ways and different approaches that were there. There were some that said since an idol is nothing that then we can eat with no worry or concern. There were others, though still, from their pagan background and their past they still worried and feared of what this says if they participated in these things. See, there were some that said we could do this and some that they said they could do this. There were some that said, I am free to do whatever I want, while others found themselves hurt and harmed by the freedom that others were using. But the questions that have to be asked today is where do we begin to turn and how do we begin to answer when the rules simply just don't apply? 
or where in this life, when we begin to think about all that we have been blessed with, all that we have been given, all that Christ has granted to us, that we are those that have been created and made, fearfully and wonderfully made, the Scriptures say that we are that we are made those blessed children knitted together in our mother's womb, the Scriptures say, that He has loved us and cared for us so much and so deeply that He has not only made us, but He has made us His own. That we are His beloved, His cared for, His children, those that He even sent Himself into this world to die, to rise, and to make us His own. That if we have a God who thinks so much of us, a God who loves us and cares for us and has done all of this for us, then how then shall we live? That's the question that Paul's asking. It's not simply a question of food or meat or what shall we eat or what shall we drink. It's a question of how shall we live? See, so many times that we get caught up with that knowledge that we have, that I know that I can do this or that. See, how many of you like those gray areas of life? Those areas that you might think those loopholes where I can get away with anything I want here because there's nothing that says anything against it. But the fact is, is that so often in this life that there is a difference between the freedom of our personal freedoms, the things that we celebrate and give thanks for, and the freedom of the gospel. Personal freedom is one that we can often say that I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, and that's just the way it is. But is that what God has blessed us with? Is that what God has given us? That I don't know about you, but the older I get, that sometimes those things that I think I'm just so free to be able to do, all of the choices that are there, the things that are possible, those things that simply multiply, the less I think so highly of all of those free choices because they just make me more and more nervous that I'm going to mess them up. That in this life, there's all sorts of questions that we have, that we are free to choose what, what is the job and profession that we're going to go into? Who's that spouse that we are going to marry? Is it what are we going to do about this or that? But how often do we live in that fear of are we making the right decisions? Are we going the right path? How often do we find ourselves simply fretting or regretting the things that are coming or the things that are past. That I don't know if this kind of relates, but this week has been a hard week in the Ebert household. That it's been a hard seven days of deciding a very key question. That what color are we going to paint the downstairs of our house? We didn't think it was going to be that hard. We went into the hardware store saying we were planning to paint that wall, those walls gray. And then we walked into that first hardware store and saw all 50-plus grays that waited us. And then the second and the third and the fourth hardware stores, and all of a sudden we had a conundrum. There we held about 45 paint swatches, 
and purchased, I think, seven different samples over the week that all went up on the wall. And earlier this week, you would have found me huddled in the corner holding my paint swatches. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So what if I mess it up? What if I choose wrongly? What if I put in my money, my decision, I'm going to have to live with this? And that's just a paint color. (laughs) How many day-to-day decisions do you make that we might celebrate that we have that personal freedom to choose. But how often do we find ourselves worried and fretting, fearful? Are we making the right decision or doing the right thing? Or now when we look back on those things that we've chosen or those things that we've done, we worry. There's many things that we can do. I mean, I can choose to eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But is that beneficial for me? I'm getting a thumbs up from the front row. Yeah, you do it. Damon, you are not my doctor, and I don't think that that is suggested. But the fact is, is that many times we look at those things that we've been given, those possessions, those income. The gifts and the talents and the treasures and the time that we've been given, and we think it's mine. I don't have to do anything but what I want. But is that beneficial to me, to think that every single thing that has been given to me in this life is meant for me? And is that beneficial to those that God has placed in my life and those that God desires to touch and impact through my life. See, that's what Paul is getting to today. That we don't simply have a personal freedom, we have a gospel freedom. That we have been fully forgiven of all of those times that we have sinned and gone astray. All of those wrong decisions and bad decisions and those decisions that weren't quite what we should have made. That we do not need to fear for we know God's grace is there for us. But more than that, we know that not only is our past forgiven and forgotten, but our future is safely in His hands. There is no decision that you are going to make that is going to somehow place you outside God's grace. There is no place that you are going to run that somehow you are going to outrun God. But the question has to be asked that if He is so generous, so loving, so gracious, so blessing of me, then how shall I live? See, Martin Luther, reflecting upon this very question, spoke these very words that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. That we are saved by faith and grace alone, not by our works or what we could do. We do not need to be afraid that we are not just those who have been created by God, that we are sons and daughters of the King. We are free, free and forgiven and loved. But the fact is, is that we simply weren't just freed from something. We were freed for something. For a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. 
Because while wisdom is something that puffs up, love is something that builds up. That someone once said that people won't indeed listen, it's been said that, that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. That where is it that we are putting that very freedom ahead of that love? Where is God calling us instead to lead with that love, that care, that blessing that He has given? That we turn to Him who is our Lord, our Savior, the one who has done it all for us. For we do not live for ourselves alone in this mortal body, but we live for those people on earth. That we live for others and not just for ourselves, because Christ thought so much of us that He lived for you. He lived for me. Not that He might be built up or puffed up or anything else, but that you may be loved and served. So how did Luther conclude? that I will therefore myself give myself as Christ to my neighbor, just as Christ has offered himself to me, that I will do nothing in this life except what I see necessary, profitable, and salutary to my neighbor, since through faith I have an abundance of good in all things. For not only has Christ died for me, but he's died for that person that I am called to love that may we fix our eyes so firmly upon that cross of Jesus that we may have our hearts melted by that love that has been given to us, that each day that we may enjoy that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.